you are beautiful, you are so strong, you're amazing. Like Every day of life is a blank sheet of paper. More happy days in our lives. Small, small changes. You had to just be with life. To really practice mindfulness. I am not my thought. It's not easy, but it's very simple. If you put those two things together, you know, the sky is the limit. And today we have an amazing guest, Nate Turner. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. And I'm glad to, that you are here. Okay, if we are seeing this commercial, it's like three to five minutes about Nate Turner. What would it say? It can be from personal life to your, I mean, her, your yeah. career, but what would it say? Uh, it would say that Nate Turner is a guy who lives by one word, and that word is who. And he believes that his life is about showing who he helped, who he served, and who he made sure others uh, knew that, that their lives matter. That's that's who Nate Turner would be. It'd be a very short commercial. It'd be a guy who just believed in the word who. Why uh, the word who? Because I, th I think who is a uh, perhaps the most important uh, three-letter word in the history of human language, and people just completely ignore it. Who is what will appear in your obituary? Who is what will appear when someone speaks your eulogy, and who will who will also appear on your tombstone or grave uh, when your life is over? So your life will tell who you were, and those 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 um, those moments, obituaries, eulogies, tombstones, etc., will be the lasting memory of who you were. And too often we get caught up in stuff like talking about my why and other, to me, I don't know, less important things. But when our, the time we spend on this planet is simply about who. And I, and I say who is who you helped, who you serve, and who knew their life mattered each time they came in contact with you. How do you personally define your who? Because for me, um, in my own personal life, I get caught up in my roles. Uh, and I'm like, when Maybe because I'm young, I'm 25, I don't know, maybe everyone gets that question of who I am, who I am, mm -hmm. why am I doing, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. Like, who, And then I go to like, okay, I am me because I'm not a mother, I'm not this my name and last name, and I just try to connect to the being inside of me, and that just helps me to just be patient, surrender, and let it go. So mm -hmm. if you ever get that question of who am I, or if you ever got that question in the past, how do you answer that? And how do you go around that question? Well, who am I depends on who it is that you're talking to. But I guess I think when I think about your who, I think when your time on this planet is up, someone else is going to write who you were. And the question that I'd always ask people is, how do you want your last, the last words about you to be written or spoken? And whatever that is, you need to be living that on a daily basis. Yeah. So I'm on here with you today because I want to be known as someone who was gracious and someone who was willing to give, um, someone who could make time for people any place in, a, in the world. Um, and the only way I can do that is to be that person. So that if you speak the last words about Nate Turner, hopefully you'll say those very things about me. And if I do enough of that, then universally people will speak that way about me and I will be exactly who I hope to be. Uh, every time I talk to someone, is it me, observe myself or someone else, I, I notice that what we teach is what we needed the most to learn. Mm -hmm. So for you, because there's always a gap between being and becoming who mm -hmm. we are and mm -hmm. who we want to be. Absolutely. When did you have the realization, like, I want to be this person? And how was the, like, transition of who you were 
to who you wanted to become? Sure. I think um, fundamentally who I, who I seek to be now is who my parents and those that were part of my village wanted me to be at the very beginning. I don't know that I understood that. I mean, my name is Nathaniel and Nathaniel is Hebrew and it means gift of God. So, right. So when people intentionally give you a name, they're giving you a name that you can live into and live up to. Now, it may be uh, somewhat of a burden, but uh, burdens are both a blessing and a curse. I'd rather have the burden of, of being responsible to be something than to have the burden of being the re having the responsibility of being nothing. So I, I accept that. It took me a while to fully understand that. My father named me, um, my mother named me Nathaniel because she's a person of faith and wanted me to be the gift of God. My father named me after Nat Turner, who is one of the more famous um, African-American slaves who resisted slavery and had a revolution on his own. Uh, my father wanted me to be a revolutionary. Um, so in some ways, I am both of those things that my parents wanted me to be. But yeah, it took me some time to realize that it's okay to, to, be, to be that. How have you used that understanding in your own parenting? When you had a child, you had a son. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. was going on in your mind? You already had this realization of, okay, the name I give him and the way I raise him, just def just it will define his life in a way, unless obviously he, will, can, he can change his beliefs and habits. But how have you used that realization into your own parenting? Uh, so my son's name is, full name is Naeem Kahari Turner hyphen Bendeli. And he was, we named him uh, intentionally. We... I uh, had a list of 10 names, male and female, that we thought we might want. And we then shared that list with all of the people that we hoped to be a part of his village. So we said, hey, there are going to be some people who are going to be aunts and uncles and so forth in his life. We want them to really be participants in his life. So we gave them the list and we said, listen, we're not going to name him for eight days. So here's the intentionality. We wanted to watch his characteristics and personality for the first seven days. On the eighth day, on that morning of the eighth day at 12.01, we were going to give him a name. And so that is exactly what we did. So his name became Naeem. Well, we thought we might name him something different, but having watched him for, for, for those first seven days, we realized that he was Naeem. Naeem is Arabic and it means benevolent. And Kahari is Swahili, it means kingly. So in his first seven days, he was as a benevolent king. He didn't cry. He was regal in his d demeanor and, and stature as a ch as a baby could be, and so we wanted to give him those two names. Turner is a name that is a derivative of, of a slave name. I, I don't know who my, you know, I don't know my origin story from in terms of Africa. And then um, Bandeli is Yoruba, means born away from home. So we wanted to give him a name that said to him, "You are a benevolent king, despite being born from slavery and being born away from home." And so that's, that's his name. So uh, to, to you, I guess I, to answer your question, I, I've used that for my own childhood in forming the name for our own son. You mentioned that you were first observing your child and mm -hmm. you just gave name unique to his character. And mm -hmm. it is so important. The first time I had the realization that my child didn't came here for me and just came here through me. And right. I am only a guide for him to just understand what he's good at and his challenges. 
and just to nurture and let him be who he was meant to be, basically. Mm-hmm. So it just feels really connected that you observed your child and gave the name. Why is it important to treat every child as a unique individual? And how can parents get the awareness that their children are not there to achieve the goals that they were not able to achieve? Well, so I think um, obviously everybody's unique. And so we we shouldn't, I, 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 I don't know, I'm, so I'm in America. I, I don't know, I can't speak about other, other nations. Mm-hmm. I can only talk about, I can only, um, I guess, credibly speak about America. But I find it interesting in this country, we have licenses for everything. We have no license for being a parent. We have no training. We have continuing education for, for nearly everything. We have no education for being a parent at all. So for me, that's a, that's, that's a problem to begin with. So we oftentimes um, have children for what I think are sometimes for the wrong reasons. It's for, because, well, I'm at a certain age and everybody expects me to have a child. Well, I don't know that that's the, the right reason to have a child. I think if you have a child, you should have a child because you you want to bring into to, to existence somebody who has a chance of doing something far greater than, than you did. If you're not willing to do that, I'm not quite sure and I know this may may not be the most popular thing in the world, but I'm not sure what what is the purpose of bringing someone into this planet at this particular time if you don't have some real intentions that that person's life is going to be much better than yours. Mm-hmm. And so it, um, I'm not yeah. sure to answer the yeah I'm not it's sure. That's a great question because it all starts with intention. I personally had a child without no intention. I just wanted a child. And then I decided I don't want a child because I have to, um, because I was 19 when I got pregnant. So I was like, no, why am I, why am I even saying I want a child? I have to be focused on myself in two weeks. I was pregnant. That's how life works. The moment you say, I don't want something to happen. <laughs> and the moment I decided to, uh, that I'm not ready, it was too late, as you said. So it was the perfect answer. We have to just ask the why. We cannot have children because, as you said, so many people have children because they are at a certain age and they don't feel any happiness or joy in life. And they think their children would give them the joy and happiness. Talk to me about some challenges, about uh, even from your personal life or the children that you have observed. What are some challenges um, parents have to go through emotionally? Obviously, it's hard not to sleep and always change the diaper and then when we have not even learned to uh, balance our own emotions and now we have this little tiny person who has always big emotions yes but emotionally spiritually what are some challenges parents go through and obviously what are some challenges children go through when they are having emotionally unhealed unstable parents sure so i think one of the challenges parents go through is this idea that that we can have it all and it certainly again i'll just I'll stick with parents that I know from America, that parents have this misconception that there is this thing called a work-life balance, that you can have a child, you can have whatever career you want to have, and you're, you can have a child and the child can be like, it's, it's, there's, there's no such thing as balance in parenting. There is always imbalance. And, and the objective is to find a way to find joy in imbalance. Too often, parents don't find any joy in imbalance and then find themselves angry at the child because they have to, oh, imagine this, be the child's teacher because we have, we're in a pandemic. Um, they're angry at the school because the school doesn't, can't take their child 
in school because there's a pandemic. So there, there's some um, a failure to realize that there in parenting, there is this thing called imbalance. And if you're going to be a great parent, you have to lean towards what's best for your child and not what's best for you. And I, I, that's one of the greater challenges I've experienced with parents here, certainly in, in America. Um, children, their challenges is, are the parents that bring them to the planet because those parents are their models. And so whatever they see out of the parents is in oftentimes what they become. Aristotle famously said, um, bring me a child at seven, I'll show you the man, which, which meant that whatever happens in the first seven years of life, and in, in America, that means the first seven years, the kids are not, most often children are not even in school. They don't have to go to school until they're a first grader. So if you could, you could be six, in some states, seven. So the first six, seven years, they're exclusively under the guidance of their parents. And so whatever they turn out to be is the parent's responsibility. And so I think that's the biggest challenge that children have is that they have parents who don't necessarily lay a, a good foundation for them to move forward with the rest of their life. What are your um, thoughts about the school and education system? Yeah, so America is a, a nation that started education based upon a factory model. So in uh, that factory model that began in the, late 18th century, well, I'm sorry, late 19th century, early part of the 20th century still does the same model we use today. And our, our educational system is based on passing tests and, and, and grades, which is fundamentally flawed because what, what makes education best is when people stop talking about education and talk again in, in, in the old days and we talk about enlightenment. So my, my thoughts are that we should move towards uh, making sure children master subjects rather than earning a grade or having rote memorization. Um, that's one of the fundamental th problems with America's education. And America's education really doesn't prepare the masses of children for the opportunities that exist in the, in the 21st century. How have you prepared your own child for the opportunities that exist outside? Because if school is not teaching, we are the teachers for them. What are some tools that you have used to um, just nurture his own greatness? So in the case of our son, we use this process called backward design. So before he was born, we wrote Harvard for an application. And the idea was that if there is a institution in America that people value, that think it's a great educational, uh, a great college or university, it's Harvard. So we thought, what if we could make sure our child met the qualifications for Harvard. Not that he would be accepted by Harvard because we have no control over that, but we could make sure that he met the academic qualifications for Harvard. So before he was born, we set out to put, put together a, a prescription or a process to make sure that we could do that. That meant for us making sure we raised someone who was intellectually ambitious. So raising a child who could think critically, a child who was introduced to the Socratic method very early on. And it meant that we would raise a child who would be globally and culturally competent, that would learn to speak numerous other languages. But in addition to that, would learn about other people's cultures so that he would be well-versed and be respectful of other people's cultures and, and ways of life. And then the third part was to raise a child who understood the, his, the importance of caring for something greater than himself, that, to realize that he's just a part of the, the great circle of life. He is not the circle in and of itself. And so 
to raise someone whose focus was on the, what's best for the greater good of, 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 of humanity. And so that's, uh, that's the way we went about modeling how we wanted our child to be developed. And was when you, obviously we all have some uh, expectations from our children, but obviously it seems to me that when he was born, he was ready to, and he was learnable or he was, he was ready to learn all of those things, yes? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, because, because the interesting thing about raising children is a little bit like being a farmer. And so mm -hmm. what you do, you plant this seed and then if you've ever been around a garden, it, which is a great exercise for you to do one day with your child because it, it shows them what patience looks like. And it also shows them what diligence looks like as well. But it's a little bit like gardening, right? Every day or farming, every day farmers do the same thing over and over, right? They plant, they plow, they pull weeds, they put down fertilizer. They, if, if they have the ability, they'll water their the soil. If not, they hope and pray that there'll be enough water, not too much that will drown out the crops, not too little that the crops will dry out. And they hope the same thing with the sunlight. Um, raising children is a lot like the same thing. You do the, what you believe to be the right things over and over again. And at some point in time, you start to see um, some vegetation sprout and you start to see that the, the child then becomes what you would hope that they would be. How is the process that I'm curious for myself and I'm pretty sure listeners are curious too. Do you just let them know that they will do what, I'm not saying that you did that, but majority sure. of the people are like, you are going to do this because I said so. And I'm curious, like, how was your, um, how, what was the words that you used to him? Because so many things I wanted to, my son to do, and he's completely different person. I'm more logical. I, I'm like, even when I have problem, I'm asking myself, is there any point of crying? No. I, sh I have to put, take myself out of this in an hour. Is it better to take myself out of this misery now? Yes. Will I save time? You know that he is a very sensitive, emotional being. He's mm -hmm. completely opposite. I'm an emotional too, but you know, I'm more logical to my emotions where he's, mm -hmm. he feels so much. It's like I had no capacity. I don't. I didn't have that emotional capacity. So he's opposite of me. So how did you talk to your son when you have these expectations for him, or is it just like you got lucky? And so many parents get lucky that their children are matching, uh, their character are matching their expectations. Because one thing is to nurture them and raise mm -hmm. them, and another mm -hmm. is their character. So that's why I'm asking these questions, and I want to dig deep. Well, I don't. I don't believe that luck is is. Um, the reason why um, children turn out a certain way. I, I, I believe that, that, as Seneca said, luck is where opportunity and preparation meet. So I think oftentimes the, the issue is that we lack preparation. We just go without any, any real idea about what direction we're going. So if, if, I'm, if I decided to visit Europe and I've never been to Europe, um, the best thing that I could do is to get directions, right? I would, I could turn on my phone and ask my phone about a destination and the phone might tell me, you know, if I don't want to say it because if I say it, my phone will answer, but I don't have an Apple. So I said, imagine I said Siri or Alexa and I'd say, hey, I want to figure out how to get to, um, I, I don't know, Ireland. And right now my phone would then tell me what it was I need to do. You need to take a plane at this time and you need to take a, 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 a 
a train from here, from this destination or the other. But without me having a destination in mind, the phone can't tell me where to go. Oftentimes with parenting, parents, parents have no destination in mind. So if you have no destination in mind, then sure, you can say, hey, well, so-and-so was lucky and I was unlucky. No, they probably had a destination and you didn't have one. And so my objective is to always have a destination. I had a destination for my son. I, I remember I said uh, on the eighth day he was named. So seven days we, we took, not luck, we took the intentionality of watching a person develop so that we could give that person a name that not only they could live up to, they could live into. So when you're guided by that, every, every action that you take is not about luck, it's about a process to help that person be what you believe that they're capable of becoming. What is the biggest value you are bringing right now to the people around you? Because we all have that one, you can call it purpose, you can call it meaning, but like you can call it why, but the thing that we want to bring to others. Maybe for me, it's majority of times it's love because that's what I liked the most. And I want to make every single person I interact with feel important and loved. So in that way, like what is something that you do that is like bigger than you right now? You try to bring value with that. Yeah, well, everything I think we do is bigger than us. Just whether or not we recognize it or not. Like everything we do has some, every action has a reaction, right? So everything we do, has some value. I could, for example, I could be rude to you and then thus make you angry and frustrated and you may go out and do something that does some damage to someone in your home. And then I am somehow, I'm not somehow, I am indirectly responsible for that. So I'm mindful that each day we have an opportunity to be, as I mentioned earlier, to help serve and make sure others know that their lives matter. That's that's the one thing that I hope to do uh, daily, which then comes back to my who. You said indirectly responsible, and that was the kind of conversation argument I had with my sister. It was a conversation, but, you know, emotional conversation with it ended well. And I was saying that uh, everything that happens to me is my responsibility, is either coming to me to teach me something or I have just triggered it with my own karma or is coming back to me. And I was saying that even if someone makes me angry and if I, I was basically saying that I let myself get angry, so it is my responsibility. But she was telling me that if someone makes her angry, it is her it is that person's responsibility because if that person have not done anything, then she wouldn't have all those emotions. And that is something very interesting to me that you just mentioned. I just I have not I don't have an answer yet. So I'd love to mm -hmm. uh, listen to your take on whose responsibility it is when we allow do we allow ourselves to get angry or is it we first get angry and then we just decide if we want to be responsive or reactive. Yeah, I think it's, I think the, the greater responsibility is certainly um, ours in terms of if someone does something or says something, you know, we, we get to choose how we're going to react and or receive what, what someone does. But the fact that there are people who might intentionally try to do stuff that, that would, would harm you, that's on them, right? How you receive it is on you, but how they intend to deliver it is on them. And, and so if I'm not sure how you're going to receive it all the time and, and I care about you, 
then the best thing I can do is to deliver it in such a way that I'm not intentionally doing anything to harm you. Now, there are certainly going to be times where I'm going to do something harmful that's unintentional. But if I, I shouldn't intentionally say or do something that is going to be harmful to you. Even if I think you are the most prepared person in the world to handle it, I just shouldn't do it because I don't know what's going on in your life in that given day. You might not be as well prepared on that day at that moment to handle what it is that I might say or do that causes harm to you. What are some practices that you personally do every single day or regu regularly uh, to support yourself and to support your emotional and physical well-being? Sure. The very first thing I do upon waking is, is give a certain amount of gratitude and appreciation to the universe or to the spirit for waking me on that on this new day. And, and, and I also make the intentionality that today I'll be better than I was yesterday. And should I have a tomorrow, my goal is to do well enough today that I lay the foundation so that tomorrow I can be better than I am currently. Um, then, then I usually get out of the bed with my left foot. I'm, I'm right-handed, so I usually try to get out of, out of the bed with the opposite foot. Um, I then brush my teeth with my, with my left hand, although I'm right-handed. And there's some reasons around activating the brain that I do that. And then I go and I sit quietly for 14 minutes and I write um, what I imagine my best life looked like. And so I call it journaling forward. So every morning, I write um, how I'd like my life to be. Sometimes it's something as simple as walking on the beach on a given day with an imaginary dog that I do not own yet called Journey. Um, some days it's about uh, giving a speech somewhere that I have not given yet. But, but it, strangely enough, some of the things that I've written about in terms of looking in the future have now actually occurred. So that's the very first, the first thing that I do. I work out um, just about every day. I, I try to walk or jog um, several miles daily. I'm very um, detailed about what it is that I consume in terms of my diet. So I weigh myself routinely because there's a particular weight that I believe I should stay at. So yeah, I, I do those kind of things on a regular basis. I like to do stuff for other people, but I feel like that that is... Um, lacks humility so I won't I won't talk about like what it means to give to other people but I I do try to live out the who that I described earlier and all of all the things you do because some first of all I love writing down every morning how your best life looks like because when I'm journaling um and before I was only doing affirmations and then I went through this time of deep healing and understanding so many of my childhood traumas and why I do and speak the way I speak. And I have just now realized that all of my journaling for the past year has been uncovering of the trauma. And mm -hmm. it is not bringing me much, well, not, it's bringing me value, but if every morning that's what I'm writing of just all the pain and trauma that I went through and I'm releasing, I just got so much, so inspired to start doing that. I'm, I'm going to start doing after we finish this conversation. Nice. So just, and just like one sentence, whatever comes into my mind, it shouldn't be like big like steps. It can be baby steps. And I enjoy how you do it every morning to just like change the food. I was doing brushing my teeth with different hand and I just, I just left that practice. I haven't even remembered <laughs> about that. So it's good to 
<laughs> you remind it because it literally changed the chemistry in the brain. And what I do is like when I do my skincare routine every morning, I visualize the life I want to live in a way that I'm in this bathroom of this huge house and my pink Lamborghini is parked outside. <laughs> and I feel those feelings of I'm going to go and sit in that car. But during writing and speaking in that to existence is an amazing idea. So thank you for inspiring me. No problem. I, I wrote a book about it. Um, I co-authored a book. Talk to me about this book. Well, we have a new book. It's called uh, Journey Forward, and, and it is about journaling forward. So rather than, as you described, most people journal based upon something that happened in the previous day, something that they were frustrated about, somehow somebody harmed them, or maybe they even wrote about something that was really great. Um, I, I find to do that is to, to be essentially living in the past. I'd rather live in the present and think about the future. And so I started writing about, again, my best life. And I shared it with, started sharing it with a couple people. And before I knew it, I had about 50 to 100 people who were asking me to continue to share the journal with them every day. And so the last, I don't know, three plus years, I've been sharing this journal with a, a number of people. And and then one of the people who was reading it said, hey, you know, you should take these entries and turn them into action statements and, and things for people to reflect on. And they could, you could give them 52 of them and they could do something each week. And I said, that sounds wonderful, but I am not going to do that. I don't have the time or the energy to do that. And so she says, great, I'll do it. And so now it's a book. And so uh, she reminds me, her name is uh, Dr. Robin Henderson Wilson, and she reminds me that this is just the first of many of these books and that we're going to be teaching courses and all this kind of stuff on Germany Forward. So um, that's that's the book. And where can people find the book? Everywhere, everywhere books are so Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure it's available in, in, um, in it, Europe. It's, can you say the name one more time? Sure. It's Journey Forward. And, and it's the subtitle is how to how to envision and manifest the life you've always wanted. Wow, I I just like that. I am so inspired now. Before I ask you my last few questions, is there any topic you really wanted to cover and I didn't got the chance to ask you the question? No, I would just other thing I would say in terms of um, visualizing your best life. One of the other things I would encourage you to do is or your listeners to do is to actually really think seriously about like a vision board i i have a vision board um have the same board but it's but it's placed throughout my house so there's a board that's probably about over here on the wall that's about five feet by six feet and then there's one in my kitchen that's about four feet by five feet. And there's one in my bedroom that's like two feet by three feet. And it's one on my mirror. And it's, it's the same thing on the background of my computer. It's the same thing on the background of my phone. But it's just a reminder so that I'm, I'm constantly alert to the life that I proclaim that I want. What I've, what I've experienced is that most people um, are a lot like we are when it comes to New Year's resolutions. We have the best intentions, but we have a terrible execution, which is why people make New Year's resolutions. And then by the time about the 25th of the first month, but the first of January, we've all st stopped doing what we said we wanted to do. Hey, I want to lose 15 pounds. And then you've gained 10. 
or I want to stop smoking or do whatever. And you, you've not done any of that. So I find the division board and then writing down my best life helps to be somewhat of an accountability partner for me if I can't find a human being to do that as well. This is so beyond magical what you just said too. And you mentioned the word taking seriously the vision board and just, I had a vision board when I lived in Florida and we came back from Florida in May. And okay. I just took these papers and the other day I just found it and I felt like this urge to do the vision board again. And then I was cleaning up today before the interview and the vision board fell down. And then I, I was like, whatever. And then the picture fell down from the vision board. So I knew that the vision board was so important. Like I feel called to do it. And the other day, another uh, guest was telling me about this online vision, vision board. And now you're mentioning that to take vision board seriously, this is basically universe talking to me to like, take this seriously. We told you a hundred times, <laughs> like we sent you so many people. We are like this all papers are falling down from ground. So I think it's an amazing time. Annie, go and renew your vision board. And I remember in Florida, when I was removing this vision board, there was this picture hidden of something I wanted to manifest, which I wasn't, I forgot about it. And when I was removing, I, was, I saw that picture and I manifested that into my life. And I was like, so good, so emotional. Vision boards truly work for a variety of the reasons, spiritual, emotional, or psychological. So you were one of my signs from the universe and what you just added uh, and you felt called to talk about just, I love the moments like this so much. And what, is it your vision board behind you? That's my vision board behind me, yep, yep. Oh, I love that nobody's too busy, it's just a matter of priorities. That's what I say, like busy is a reflection of priorities. Yep. Yep. Get done, no excuses. I love it. Oh, thank you for sharing this because this is so personal. Oh, no problem. Like, no yeah. problem. I love it. I love it. And I also had my pictures there. I had like, there is this picture of Beyonce on the scene and she has a lot of people in front of her. And I cut out my picture and put it on top of Beyonce. And I was like, this is how much people I want to see come there to like hear my story. <laughs> so, I was just reminded of that and that was an amazing reminder. You just brought so much value to me, not only with this vision board, but I had so many realizations throughout hearing you. Uh, where, yes, where can people find you? You mentioned about your book, but will, where can people find you? What are some ways you're bringing value to them and all your socials? And I will link everything down in the description box, but sure. for the people who want to hear about it. Um, so you can find me, I mean, the simplest way, if I do have a website, is nathanielaturner.com. So it's N-A-T-H-A-N-I-E-L-A-T-U-R-N-E-R.com. That's the easiest way to find me and everything, everything about me is found there. I have a blog called Raising Superman, but you can find that at nathanielaturner.com and certainly my, my LinkedIn and, um, Twitter and, Instagram and all that, Facebook, all of those things are, are linked right at the webpage. This is the question I ask to everyone at the end of the show. Just leave us with one word or a sentence or two that is on top of your soul or heart. Gratitude. Hmm. I love it. I love it. Gratitude, gratitude. And feel the gratitude. 
and first start speaking into it and then the feelings will come. Thank you so much for being part of this show. Thank you so much. Some guests are just um, gifts from the universe because they tell me what I need to hear. And you are one of those guests. So thank you so much. You are truly living your purpose, you know? Well, well thank you. I appreciate it. See? <laughs> I appreciate it. It's important. This is a confirmation. You are living your purpose. Wow. Just thank you so much for being part of the show. Thank you so much on working on yourself first, because now you're able to raise a child that works on himself as well. And there's a ripple effect to healing. And it all starts with healing ourselves. So thank you on working on healing on yourself. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And thank you listeners for listening. And until next time.